Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sound Practice. I'm your co-host, Cheryl Toth, and with me is Mike Sakopoulos. Hey, Tothy. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Tothy, you ever watch Price is Right? You mean the TV show? <laughs> yeah, you know, the one that um, presently hosted by uh, Drew Carey. Oh, but it used to be hosted by Bob Barker. Oh, I like that That's guy. when I remember it. He was yeah. so awesome, that guy. Yeah, I, I remember The Price is Right with Bob Barker as a kid, where people guess the price of items and they run down, what is that? Come on down. <laughs> and whoever's <laughs> the closest to the price wins. You got it. That's that's the show. Um, it's it's not very sedate, is it? It usually involves people screaming and running around. Sometimes they dress up. It's quite entertaining. Yes. Well, this reminds you of your interview today, the screaming and the costumes well, and the running well, around? Not so much the costumes, Tothi, <laughs> but, but overall, yes, it does. The general commotion, the confusion, and the wildly divergent prices for the same same thing reminds me of people uh, trying to determine what their medical expenses uh, will be when seeking care. Ah, I get it. I, I am totally with you on that. It, it does, you know, there is a lot of price variance and it's hard to figure out what things cost. So that's why you're talking with Jeannie Pinder today. You, you're, mm. you interviewed her. She is the founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs. And I'm truly looking forward to your interview. But first... Oh, you know what's first, Tothi. It's time for Word of the Show. It sure is. Samizdat is our word, and it means clandestine copying and distribution of literature banned by government or by the state. Wow, that's, that's kind of heavy, Mike. It's mm, a very unexpected true. word. Wow. True. Well, you know what, Tothi? You get some extra points if you can just kind of weave that into a little cocktail conversation. <laughs> mm, Samizdat, well... I will do my best with that, but I have to think a little bit. So I'm mm. not like going to be fast on the uptake. So in the meantime, let's move directly to your interview with Jeannie Pinder. I would like to welcome to Sound Practice, Jeannie Pinder, founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs. Jeannie worked at the New York Times for 23 years before founding Clear Health Costs. She was an editor, reporter, and human resource executive before volunteering for a buyout in late 2009. And in 2011, uh, she began Clear Health Costs with three grants and some help from some angel investors. One of those grants was from the Toe Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism at the City University of New York Graduate School of Journalism. Another one of those grants was from the Ford Foundation via the International Women's Media Foundation in the Women's Entrepreneur in the Digital News Frontier Program. And the third was from McCormick Foundation's News Media Women's Entrepreneur Program via JLab, the Institute for Interactive Journalism. Uh, we are fortunate to have those institutions as well as Jeannie Pinder to talk to us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you much for inviting me. Very excited to to talk to you, but why don't we start at the beginning with how did you become interested in the pricing, uh, transparency, or lack thereof, of healthcare? 
Yeah, thanks. So um, I've always been a fairly careful consumer, but I have a story about medical pricing, just like a lot of people who are listening, I imagine. I had, <clears throat> in my family, we had um, at one point for 14, over a 14 month run, we had three bits of minor surgery, a half hour each, nothing mm. serious. The anesthesia bill alone was 2000 for the first, $2,000 for the second, and $6,000 for the third. So I'm a journalist. I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> it turns out that after some careful research, uh, for the expensive one, I was being charged $1,419 for a generic anti-nausea medication that I could buy online for $2.49. Ironically, that would cause nausea in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, you could think about that. Um, so, so fast forward a few years later, I had volunteered for this buyout from the New York Times. I was looking for my next act. I had an offer to join the entrepreneurial journalism program at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism. We needed to have a business idea that had some kind of journalism DNA. Hmm. So I pitched them this idea. They took me into the program and at the end, almost a year to the day after I volunteered for the Times buyout, I won a Shark Tank type pitch contest for 20,000 bucks to found this company. Wow, very, uh, very cool. Cool story. So, and the, tr and the truth is, I almost gave the money back because I realized how hard it was going to be, and then rapidly won the second grant from the International Women's Media Foundation. So I had forty thousand dollars worth of no strings attached money, which isn't uh, really enough to start a company, and it's also not really enough to bring transparency to the healthcare marketplace. But I figured it was a sign from the universe that I had to go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're fortunate that you, you did. And let, let's talk a little bit about Clear Health Costs. I want to know, is your organization interested in the costs associated with professional medical services and medication, or is it also interested in health insurance premiums, which seem to be opaque as well to me? Yeah, well, as you know, the two are intimately related. Um, the more people pay for goods and services in healthcare, the higher their premiums will be. Um, we figure that it's easier for us to affect the um, transparency in, in healthcare procedure pricing than it is to affect in insurance premiums. Interesting. Okay. Well, economists would say that a lack of, of transparency or what they would categorize as imperfect um, knowledge leads to inefficiencies in the, in the marketplace. Would you agree with that? And do you have any examples? Yeah, um, information is power. When you have this knowledge about what things cost, you're able to make better decisions for yourself and your loved ones about what kind of uh, care to get going forward, how much is it gonna cost. You're not as apprehensive about signing up for a procedure because you actually know that you're not gonna get a $5,000 gotcha bill on the back end. We hear this kind of thing all the time, that people go in for a procedure thinking they know what it's gonna cost, having a hospital estimate even, and it comes out $3,000 more. We've heard a lot about people who've decided just not to get treatment because they're afraid of a gotcha bill. I mean, imagine if you went to the grocery store and you wanted to buy a tomato, you had no idea what it was gonna cost. You came out and months later, you realized that you had acquired a $500 tomato when you really thought the tomatoes were only going to be 89 cents. <laughs> That's an interesting way to, to look at it. 
tell me, Jeannie, are, are these problems with, with pricing worse in certain geographic areas of the country than, than others? Is there more or less transparency to healthcare costs uh, depending upon where you reside? We actually think that this is a nationwide problem. We haven't truly seen a lot of variation across this great wide land of ours, with a few exceptions. Like, for example, the San Francisco area is very high priced. The Los Angeles area tends to be actually lower priced. Um, you might say there's a north-south divide. Like, in the north, prices tend to be a little bit higher. In the south, they can be a little bit lower. But it's generally all opaque, and that's the problem. That means that we have a nationwide crisis. And what that nationwide crisis looks like is that people are choosing not to build prescriptions, not to have medical procedures. Small problems become big ones. People die. I want everybody listening to this to think about that and to listen for these stories. We hear people who are, can afford the diagnosis but not the cure, so they stop treatment for lack of money. How would you feel if this had happened to you, your daughter, your mom? It's a national crisis. That, that it certainly is. So I understand that perhaps geography plays only a very, very small part. What about areas of expertise or, or specialty or, or areas of medicine? Are some more or less transparent than others, or is the problem fairly universal to all disciplines of medicine? Yeah, so we've noticed that these sort of commodified procedures like blood tests, uh, MRIs, walk-in clinic visits are becoming actually much more transparent in their pricing. And maybe it's because they don't have as many moving parts, but it is clear to us from our work since 2011 that that is happening. Um, we can talk, for example, about walk-in clinic visits. When we first started doing this, pricing walk-in clinic visits, here in the New York area, back in 2011, the pricing variations were from something like $20 to $510. We just re-ran that data run, the pricing survey, a couple of months ago, and those prices have pretty much narrowed. The, the lion's share of the prices are between $125 and $175. So that's kind of a commodified thing, that walk-in clinic visit. There's a walk-in clinic on every corner in New York City. They're very, very common, and they know that they're competing on price. What's considerably less transparent, obviously, are big ticket items like surgery, cancer care, and then there's some other sort of esoteric stuff like sleep studies, weirdly, have a wide variation in pricing. We don't know exactly why, but it's true. By wide variation, you mean within the same city, yes. same geographic area? Yes, same geographic area, huge variation in pricing. And do you think that, or do you have any knowledge of whether clinicians that are ordering these studies know what the pricing is? Clinicians often tell us that they don't. And we think that's a pretty big problem, that um, for both clinicians and patients, or as we like to call them, people, <laughs> folks ought to know what stuff costs in healthcare. So if a doctor is ordering a prescription the patient goes to pick up the prescription and finds out that it's $580, doesn't fill the prescription, and then winds up in the emergency room, that's a problem. That's a lack of price transparency. The patient might also decide not to get a test that the doctor prescribes because she thinks she can't afford it. 
But in point of actual fact, maybe she can if she had pricing tools like ours. And do you believe that patients are embarrassed by this and don't go back to clinicians because they failed to comply with test orders? Well, you know, is it embarrassment? Is it uncomfortable? Is it they feel like they're going against doctor's orders, but they're making a choice between whether they're going to put food on the table or get that medication. These are very unpalatable choices that people are making every day. We hear about this all the time. We heard from a woman the other day who was prescribed mammograms twice a year because she's had cancer before, $900 every six months. She said, I can't do it. My kids have needs. I just can't do it. Mm. We are talking to Ginny Pender, founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs. We're talking about a little bit of what has changed since the founding of your organization in 2011. Maybe you can, you can tell me more about changes that you've seen in the last nine years or so. Can you give me any hope? <laughs> Actually, um, we've seen a lot of change uh, from where we sit. There are many, many, many more people who are interested in this topic than were when we started. For example, when we started out, we noticed that at least half of the people that we were talking to would say, that's crazy. Nobody shops for healthcare. This is worthless information. Uh, powerful forces will put you out of business. And half the people we talked to would say things like, oh my God, are you serious? Are you live? Is this for real? Can I send it to my mom? <laughs> and and I, what I realized after you know, some time, I guess maybe I'm a slow learner, I realized that the people who were really excited about this were women. And the people who are less excited were men. Hmm. So what's up with that? Well, women own, women make or influence 80 to 90% of the healthcare decisions in this country. Women own reproductive health. Women tend to own pediatricians appointments. Not every family, but most. Mm -hmm. Women own elder care. Women will nag their spouses or significant others whether those are husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, or none of the above. Honey, did you get your MRI? Honey, did you get your prescription? Honey, did you? Honey, did you? And how much did you pay for it? Whereas we would hear from a lot of men, and honestly, I can be very truthful about this, I love men. But we would hear from men things like, I haven't been to the doctor in 12 years. Who's your customer? Or another of my favorite responses was, Oh, my wife does all of that. You got to talk to my wife. My wife is always talking about this. I don't know anything about it. You got to talk to my wife. Or, um, oh, I have a gold-plated executive health plan. All of my doctors are out of network. So this really isn't a problem that affects me. Can you explain it to me again? So, so this was the sort of landscape that we entered in 2011. Now we hear all the time, all day, every day. It's on the front pages of newspapers the top of the evening news, people are really concerned about health costs. One big thing that's changed is that this is affecting more and more and more people. And that's why I think our business is booming. And tell me about business booming. What does that look like from your perspective? What does business booming mean? We do this transparency work, not only on our home site, but also in partnership with other news organizations. We do these long-running, consumer-friendly investigative partnerships where we actually sort of embed ourselves in the newsroom. We put our interactive software on our partners' sites, 
and we encourage and invite community members to come over and search our prices, share their stories, and then we use those stories to make great journalism. Like, hey, here's Nancy who went to a clinic with a sore shoulder. She came out with a diagnosis of frozen shoulder and a bill for $160, which seems fair, steep but fair. They followed that up with a bill for $1,434.01 for the facility fee because the clinic that she went to was part of the Tulane University Medical Center Empire. And she had no idea. She wasn't anywhere near the Tulane campus, mm. but she gets this big honking facility fee bill. So we did a story about what is a facility fee? Where does it come from? Do you have to pay it? What if your insurance company won't pay it and it all lands on you? How can you avoid a facility fee? What are the questions to ask and the run up to the thing? So we do a story about that and then put the story at the top of the evening news and invite then people at the end of it to come back and search and share their stories. So we do these long running investigative partnerships with other news organizations. Our current partners are CBS National News, around CBS This Morning, the CBS Evening News. We're also partnering with WNYC Public Radio, the most listened to public radio station in the country, and its digital partner, Gothamist.com, under a grant from the New York State Health Foundation. So our work is very, we're reaching a lot of people. Um, my TED Talk, which went online in February, is now up to almost 2 million views. So people are really, really interested in this topic. And you know what else? They're angry. They're afraid. They're furious. And they're terrified that they themselves will somehow get caught in this meat grinder and have to forego treatment because they can't afford it. So what's been the reaction from your journalistic partners, the entities that you just named, have they received pushback at any level for participating in this activity with you? Well, it's not uncommon for the um, reporter to be asking a question of a hospital. A hospital says, not our fault, it's the insurance company's fault. The insurance company says, no, it's not our fault, it's the hospital's fault. And eventually somebody will chime in and say, well, it's your employer who bought that cheap healthcare plan, or we're just following the regulations and the law. So, so there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of pushback like that. But in general, our journalism partners have been really happy. This is the kind of work that really makes people understand what healthcare pricing looks like. And people in our communities really don't feel that there's anybody out there fighting for them except for us. They treat us like we're their gladiators. It's very exciting. We say we're the happiest people in journalism these days. Very nice. So a variety of states, including your home state of New York, have have passed no surprise litigation or or laws. Can you tell people what those are and how those work with, uh, with pricing of medical services? Yeah, so the surprise billing laws, first off, we're really excited to see any kind of legislative and regulatory efforts that will protect patients and providers, or as we like to call them, people. Everybody needs to be protected from this problem. But it's sort of sad to say that in, in many cases, these laws aren't all that effective. So for example, the surprise billing law in New York State will govern your visit to an in-network hospital and you receive then an out-of-network bill for an emergency room physician or an anesthesiologist. That is a classic surprise billing case 
under the New York law. What it doesn't govern is, for example, if you ask the hospital for an estimate going in, or and you get an estimate of $1,500, you come out and you get a bill for $5,500. That might be a surprise to you, but it's not necessarily governed by the surprise billing law. So those surprise billing laws are, are kind of narrowly drawn. On the other hand, it's really great to see that there is recognition in the halls of Congress and the state assemblies that this is a huge problem and that something needs to be done. We're with Jeannie Pender, founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs. We were talking about no surprise bills, which in my mind somewhat raised a, a larger question of, of what all has changed. This topic seems to be garnering much more attention than it did two, three, five years ago. What do you believe has changed? I think one of the biggest changes is that so many more people are affected by health costs with rising premiums, rising deductibles, rising coinsurance. There are so many more people who are aware of this than when we first started out in 2011. We had, for example, a woman who shared with us the other day that she has a monthly premium of $2,000 for herself, her husband, and their two kids. They have you know, $6,700 individual deductible, double that for the family. They also have a 50% co-insurance after they've met their deductible. So for every sick person visit that comes around, they're paying half. It's a huge amount of money. And by the way, they have a kid with brain cancer. Ugh. So, so, I mean, she's one of the most horrifying cases, but we see things, every, every day we see things like that. People coming in with, you know, $250, $375, a $2,500 bill. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. That many more people are affected by this. So when you were talking about comparing prices, I guess one question that came to mind is, is how difficult is that to do? Is it always an apples to apples situation or do we have an odd orange tossed into the mix? Is it difficult to compare prices? Well, there aren't a whole lot of really great tools out there, honestly. And um, some of the tools that profess to be really great will give things like, oh, it's only an estimate, or, oh, this is a median or average price, which really isn't that helpful for people because you can't actually go into the hospital and say, I'd like to have the average price for this area. There are not a lot of tools out there for people to use. What we have on our site, we have cash or self-pay prices for common shoppable procedures, 35 of them, within a given metro area. We also have crowdsource prices. So we invite people in our communities to come over and share their pricing on our interactive software. We're building what we call a community-created guide to health costs. You can think of it as something like a mashup between Kayak and the Waze traffic app. <laughs> because we have reported data and we have crowdsourced data. People come in and tell us what they paid. We also taught the software to figure the Medicare rate in every geographic area for every CPT code, which is useful because that's the closest thing to a fixed or benchmark price in the marketplace. That doesn't really tell the patient exactly what she's going to pay, but it does get her into a place that's different from where she is now, where she asks the doctor, the doctor says, I don't know, call the insurer. The insurer says, I don't know, call the doctor. 
and the patient is in the middle going, I have no idea, winds up with a gotcha bill on the back end. This is truly, it's, it's messing up relationships between doctors and patients or people. It shouldn't happen. The audience to this podcast that we're on today is predominantly healthcare executives and physician leaders. What would you suggest this collection of people do to address healthcare billing situation in our country? Yeah, so so I wouldn't actually call it the billing situation. I would say that we have a national crisis on the topic of health costs. People are not getting treatments they should get because they're afraid they can't pay for it. So as I mentioned, this is messing up relationships in the marketplace. Patients are afraid to talk about this with doctors. Doctors feel like they don't have enough to information to talk about it with patients. And it's eroding the trust on both sides of the relationship. Listeners, how can you help? Well, listen to those stories and ask yourself, is your financial aid policy as clear and accessible as possible? Do you have prices posted publicly? Maybe you don't have either one of those things at your fingertips, but if you're just acknowledging this problem and then understanding the human toll and acting on that knowledge, you can be a force for the good. There's so much human potential that's being wasted on this. And by the way, people are dying. Doctors, nurses, patients, caregivers, everybody on every side of the equation is unhappy with this. Please help us fix it. We'll let that be the final word. Well said. My guest has been Jeannie Pender, founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for bringing me here. Mike, Jeannie Pender is really an interesting person. I'm so glad we got a chance to interview her. And uh, her work with newspapers and organizations all across the country brings some real transparency to healthcare costs. That is, that is truly unique. It sure is. And there's certainly a demand for the type of information being developed by clear health costs, I think. Well, and some of her examples of price variation were truly shocking. But I mm. think more disturbing was her discussion of the people who are avoiding, avoiding necessary care out of fear of costs, fear and costs. And I've been reading about that too. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, terrible. right? Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Well, you know, we're in an election year, uh, Tothi. There's no way to avoid knowing that fact. And I'm sure that we will be hearing more about this uh, general topic from both sides of the aisle as we move in on uh, November election date. I'm sure you're right. And if people want to know more about Jeannie Pinder's organization and their work, you can go to clearhealthcosts.com. We'll also put that in the show notes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Don't try to write it down as you're driving around the countryside. Not safe. We'll have it in the show notes uh, for people. Yes, please, people. Good advice, Mike. Be safe. You are the healthcare attorney in this podcast, so you're <laughs> cautioning everyone. Very nice. Um, yeah, and yep. so with that, we are concluding our episode of Sound Practice. I hope everyone enjoyed your interview, Mike, with Jeannie Pinder. It was certainly eye-opening for me. And if you did enjoy that, please consider rating us on the website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And Tothi, I know you and I would both really love to hear from people. If they have any feedback or suggestions for the podcast, uh, they should email us, and they may do that at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com.
Yes, very good. And with that, we are complete. We hope you'll join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, that man Robin went from Kapow.